Hey, friends, it is Memorial Day. We are live here on the line of fire, and the phone lines are open for your questions and comments. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, friends, to this special live broadcast on Memorial Day here on the Line of Fire. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you. So maybe you don't normally get to listen to the broadcast or get to call into the broadcast, but Memorial Day may be a change in your schedule. And of course, with the lockdown, shutdown, maybe there's been a massive change in your schedule already. But we wanted to give you an opportunity. Those that are not able to call in, reach us at other times, wanted to open the phones live on Memorial Day. So 866-34-TRUTH. That's the number to call, 866-348-7884. Any question of any kind that you have that we can help you with, any comment that you have, if you differ with me on something, if you think I'm dangerous and want to warn the whole world, please give us a call. I'd love to talk with you. 866-34-TRUTH. I just always remind you, though, that for the call to be fruitful, it has to be in an area where I have some expertise or background, right? Uh, if, if you want to, to call me and, and ask me about intricacies of the solar system, it's not my specialization. If, if you want to discuss with, with me the history of, of the gold rush out west in the 1800s, not my area. But we do, we do have some knowledge in a few areas, so hopefully... We can be of help to you, anything biblical, theological, anything having to do with politics, culture, anything having to do with Israel, the Jewish people, by all means, give us a call, 866-34-TRUTH. All right, it's Memorial Day, and as I reflect on war, I've, I've never been in the military. I was not drafted during the days of the Vietnam War. My mother and father both served in World War II, of course, my mother in a totally non-combat role. That's before she and my dad knew each other. But he served in the war. And then my mother actually went to Bermuda, the island of Bermuda, and she served doing different work for the government. But I've never been in the war zone in that respect. I've never seen the carnage. I've never had to deal with the terror of being under bombardment. I mean, I've been in situations where my life was threatened for the gospel, preaching the gospel, but that is a very, very different scene than obviously the terrors of war, and, and you're watching your best friend get blown up next to you, and the, the horrors of it, the sacrifices that are being made by people that, as you get older, you know, I'm 65, just my kids, I, I don't mean people that can't make mature choices, but I mean so young, with so much of their lives ahead, and then cut down. So first we honor those who served. We honor the family members of those who sacrificed their loved ones, who, who will not see them again in this world, or whose loved ones came back very different, or you came back very different. Yes, there are testimonies of people healed even of PTSD and, 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 and God meeting people and, and healing the traumas, but then so many others physically scarred for life, emotionally scarred for life. And, and the thing that's so grievous 
is it was to stop someone else's evil. In, in other words, it didn't have to happen. It's, it's part of the pain of the sin of the human race that some maniac decides he wants to take more territory or decides he's going to act genocidally against different people groups or whatever it is. They're going to settle some old grudge or they just want a trade route to dominate for greed and, and they go to war and now others have to stop them and in the process, lives are lost, millions of precious lives. So we honor those who serve. We honor the memory of those who serve. We honor the families of those who served. And for those who are still in a world of pain, it may be 20 or 30 years or 40 years later, it may have been from Afghanistan, it may have been from Iraq, it may have been from a conflict in another part of the world, or Vietnam, or Korean War, or even still a World War II vet in your old age. God can meet you where you are, and God can help, and God's grace is able to heal the deepest wounds and to bring hope into the darkest situations. So take those words, wish we could offer more than that, and our prayers. 866-34-TRUTH. I've got some really neat news to share with you, some very encouraging news from a pastor in India. I wrote an article about that. I wrote a response to an atheist, uh, I believe a Harvard professor, scientist, wrote a response to him referring to belief in the afterlife being a malignant delusion. That article will probably go live tomorrow. I don't think it went up today just because Memorial Day. Uh, a lot of folks will miss it, but I'll share some of that with you. But want to get to your calls, all right? So phone lines are open, and we start in Kansas City with TJ. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. Thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, I had a question about um, John 1 and the conversation the Pharisees are having with John the Baptist. They ask um, if he's um, the Christ or if he's not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet, then who, who does he say he is? And so I was wondering, like, so were, were they expecting three different people or because I know they were um, expecting the Messiah. And um, so I was just wondering who the prophet is referring to. Was there actually three distinct people that that um, the Jewish people were looking forward to or expecting right. or not? Yeah, great question. So, TJ, if I ask you about Christian beliefs regarding the Second Coming, there are a lot of different beliefs, right? So the mm -hmm. same way in the ancient Jewish world, there was not just one set of beliefs that everybody held to, but for sure, we have documents from the ancient Jewish world, some from the Dead Sea Scrolls that precede the, the New Testament writings, some preserved in rabbinic literature, but also preserving some ancient traditions. And for sure, there was a belief in the coming of Messiah, different aspects to it. There were many who believed that there would be two messianic figures, a royal Messiah from the line of David and a priestly Messiah from the line of, of Aaron. We have that reflected earliest in, in, in the Dead Sea Scrolls and then reflected in later Jewish literature. Then uh, for sure, we have anticipation of a prophet. Uh, probably uh, the origins from what we can tell go back to Deuteronomy 18, the prophet like Moses, even though in initial application, it could be speaking of a prophetic leader in each generation, Ultimately, there was an expectation of a coming prophet, the great prophet. And uh, we, we even have texts, for example, like, like Luke 7, uh, after 
the raising of, of the widow of Nain, her son from the dead, people say a great prophet is among us. Uh, the Samaritan woman and, and the dialogue in John 4, perceiving he was a prophet, you know, is he, okay, a prophet, maybe more than a prophet, the Messiah? We know from a collocation of texts in the Dead Sea Scrolls, speaking of messianic, messianic anticipation, that there was a belief in an end-time prophet. So that was definitely there. And then certainly a belief that Elijah would come, and that comes from, from the end of the book of Malachi. So Elijah coming before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Jesus tells us that John came in the spirit and power of Elijah, but whatever the expectation was when they say, are you Elijah? He say, no, I'm, I'm not Elijah, but he came in the spirit of power and power of Elijah. So either he fulfilled what was written about Elijah, or there will be a literal Elijah coming uh, who reveals himself before the Lord returns. But either way, John would say, no, no, I'm, I'm not Elijah, not that prophet. And you could say whatever he said would play into a limited perception that they had. So it was better for him to say no to all of those questions and just to announce his mission because each of those had different associations with it in the Jewish world. But certainly anticipation of a Messiah, son of David, in some circles, a Messiah, son of Aaron, then a prophet, and then Elijah, definitely figures that were anticipated in the end of the world scheme in different Jewish beliefs at that time. Okay, so can I... Can I ask another question? Or you bet. Clarify? You bet. Um, so in tradition or the, the different expectations, there was a distinction between Elijah and the prophet. Is that what Yes, yes. In, in okay. other words, you have in the Dead Sea Scrolls a, a messianic grouping of texts. In other words, here are texts from the Hebrew Bible that were understood to be messianic. And one of them spoke of Messiah, son of David, another spoke of a priest, and then another spoke of a prophet. That's separate from text referring to Elijah. Now, it doesn't mean that there, there was not some overlap in some Jewish thought, but from what we can tell, two separate figures, an end-time prophet and then Elijah, who would prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. Okay, thank you. Yep. And, and, and by the way, uh, you, you have what are often called un unintentional confirmations of things, different words that are used that, that point to the veracity of an account. John's writing in such a way, assuming that everybody knows these things. It's kind of a backhand. You know, oh, yeah, everybody knows these. And, and now when we find ancient literature that confirms, it's like, ah, okay, that was what was believed at that time. Thank you very much for the questions. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, we go to Christian in Salt Lake City, Utah. Welcome to the broadcast. Thank you. Hi, Michael. Um, I had heard, I don't really believe it, but I'd heard that you said that the new apostol, apost, the NAR, apostolic... Uh, the new uh, Reformation. apostolic Reformation. Yeah. Yeah. It, you said that it didn't exist, but I don't really believe that. No, no, here's, here's, here's what I said. The thing that the critics refer to as the New Apostolic Reformation, which is a, a worldwide union of hundreds of millions of Pentecostals and Charismatics worldwide that hold to distinctive beliefs, that is a complete 100% myth of the critics. 
a movement that Peter Wagner led that he called New Apostolic Reformation. That certainly exists. And Peter Wagner's characterization of Pentecostal church movements over 100 years that were growing outside of normal denominational structure, what, what he labeled New Apostolic Reformation, he referred to that in that way. But what the critics referred to as New Apostolic Reformation is 100% a myth. I, I guarantee you that is as sure as I'm sitting here. So tell you what, uh, we got a break here. We come back and you can you can ask for further clarification on it. We want to make sure we're totally clear on that and that you don't have any questions when we're done. Phone lines are open on this Memorial Day, 866-34-TRUTH. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the Line of Fire. Yeah, I was just trying to grab a couple of texts for our first caller for TJ uh, to read them on the air. Uh, 4Q for Florilegium and 4Q Testimony. These are important Messianic compilations or listings of texts that tie in with expectation about the Messiah or related figures, uh, and these texts predate the New Testament writings. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, so a Christian in Salt Lake City, so when, uh, when you said that you know that NAR exists, New Apostolic Reformation exists, and you wanted to know why I said it was a myth, so I explained again what the critics describe as NAR, and which creates such fear, actually around the world, oh, it's NAR, you're part of NAR, this heretical group. That's a complete <laughs> myth of the critics. Something called the New Apostolic Reformation, yeah, that, that certainly exists, and that was something I was never directly involved with. But uh, what was the, what did you want to clarify with me, sir? I just uh, wanted to, you know, you answered my question already. Okay. You didn't have anything to do with it. But I have another question. Can I ask another question? Yeah. Now, let me just say this. For decades, I believed, based on Scripture, that what we refer to as fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, that that was something permanently put in the church until Jesus returned. So you have right. the 12 apostles. They stand distinct. Or you say the 12 and Paul, they stand distinct. They wrote Scripture. Some of them, they were eyewitnesses to the death and resurrection of Jesus or in Paul's case, Jesus uniquely appears to him, but no apostles like that exist today, and they haven't since the end of the, the apostolic age. I have yeah. understood people like, say, Patrick, who went to Ireland, or Hudson Taylor went to China, that these are modern-day apostolic people. We just don't call them apostles or in, in church history. And then I believe there are prophetic voices, say, but they don't write scripture like Old Testament prophets did. So I believe that. I believe in fivefold ministry. And I work with people in a wide range of settings, from, from those that would be considered believing in the New Apostolic Reformation to those who deny it, to those who never heard of it. But the funny thing is, Christian, every leader that I've talked to that is supposedly a leader in what the critics refer to as NAR, you know their first question to me? 
What is NAR? What is, what are they trying? They, they are clueless. They have no idea what the people even mean. So my joke, it's an it's a unfortunate joke I have to make, is that the proof that you're part of it is that you deny ever, hear, ever knowing what it means. You deny, you know, it, it, it is so, and the conspiratorial thing, it, this is what scares me. You know how a lot of Americans are concerned now with Bill Gates and a vaccine and is there gonna, are Americans going to get a microchip of the vaccine against the virus and there's a lot of fear over this. And Well, you take that, now you multiply that in the spiritual realm where people have this terrible fear of NAR. <gasps> so what the critics do is they'll group people together that are 100% unrelated. Say like a, an extreme word of faith teacher over here and then, and then someone else who's into dominion theory that the church is going to take over the world through the gospel. And then someone else like me who believes in, that fivefold ministry exists. They lump it all together. And now you are all responsible for what anybody in the group says or does. And, and then the mythology gets multiplied. So it, it's a real problem. The critics have done real harm here in spreading misinformation. And we've gone through it point for point to, to demonstrate how it's misinformation. But it's gotten a lot of people really scared and worried, and, and this was a heretic, and it's, it's dangerous. Anyway, your other question, sir. Go ahead. My other question is, I believe, like you do, um, about the post-tribulation rapture. Yes. In Malachi, it says uh, that the wicked will be like ashes under your feet. So it doesn't say it clearly that I can ever find anywhere, but uh, are, you think we'll be, I guess we'll be protected through the tribulation. I, yeah, I yeah, cer- I mean, certainly. I, here, John seventeen fifteen. you can jot that down, John seventeen fifteen. when Jesus prays for his, his apostles, but then you can apply the spirit of the prayer. He says, I don't, God, I don't pray you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. That parallels in Revelation, the third chapter, where Jesus tells the church in Philadelphia, probably for something especially relevant for them, but let's apply it to the end of the age, that I will keep you from the hour of trial that comes on the whole world. So God can keep us right while we're here in this world. And then look, sir, at the end of Isaiah 26, the end of Isaiah 26, which tells God's people, come away into the inner chamber and hide yourselves until the wrath has passed by. And then finally, when Jesus does return, those of us who are alive are caught up to meet him in the air and descend with him in glory as he finally destroys the wicked who have attacked Jerusalem and have attacked God and have attacked those who follow Jesus. So we will be with him when he brings that final destruction on the unrepentant wicked. Hey, thanks for the questions. 866 Three for truth. We go to Jonathan in Jackson, Mississippi. Welcome to the line of fire. Shalom, Dr. Brown. Shalom. I just wanted to share a testimony right quick. I was listening to some Bethel music recently, and the Holy Spirit just came all over me. And I, I had been watching some videos earlier. Uh, this year that were critical of Bethel, and that critical spirit has started to get into me. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit, just spoke to me and said, you know, if you're uh, persecuting them, then you're persecuting me, and that I'm well able to uh, correct them if they're into any false doctrine. 
Hey, Jonathan, the Lord is good, and I'm, I'm glad that, that you detected that critical spirit and that the Holy Spirit did move on you. Uh, let me say this. Uh, I know Bill Johnson and Chris Valentin. We're not close friends or anything like that, but, but we know each other with mutual respect, and we would consider ourselves friends in that regard. I certainly don't agree with everything that Bethel would teach or practice, but I absolutely believe that the leaders there seriously love the Lord, that Bethel has produced some powerfully anointed, God-glorifying music. Doesn't mean I, I like every song. I mean, who even knows every song that's been written by any, you know, all the major groups out there. But I, I believe that God's used the worship powerfully, that many have been touched, that Jesus has been glorified. And not only so, I see the leaders seeking to clarify things and repudiate other things and say, no, we don't believe this. This is incorrect. I believe they'll be putting out videos that clarify what they believe. Uh, their policy was always not to respond to critics, but I, I was one of probably many that said, well, don't even worry about the critics. What about millions of others that aren't sure what to think and have heard bad reports? So I'm, I'm glad they're doing that. Uh, Shane Eidelman, uh, uh, a very passionate leader, pastor in California that's become a, a good friend, recently did an interview with Sean Foyt from Bethel, one of the worship leaders that's come out of there. And he had a number of concerns about beliefs and said, well, it was a great interview and found a, a lot of the things are really caricatures and not what they hold to. So in any case, thank God for the good music that's come out of there. Let God be glorified in it. And areas where uh, there are some things that need to be addressed, I, I'm sure they get addressed. And hopefully with all of us in all of our circles where we're lacking something or missing something that will get corrected because none of us have it down perfectly by the way. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let us go to Christopher uh, outside of Salt Lake City. Welcome yes, to sir. the Line of Fire. Right. Uh, thank you, Dr. Brown. I'm just looking across the beautiful fruited plain, and uh, God is good. Uh, real, real quickly, I was reading an article on Drudge Report, and, I, you know, reputable, unreputable, don't know. But there was an article about uh, a new religion under Trump. And it piqued my interest. I'm a Christian. I think I'm pretty well informed about most things. So I looked into it, and uh, it, it was a thing called QAnon. Uh, I don't know much more than that, uh, but just looking through it, and there, it's been going on for quite some time. And then I asked some of my Christian friends, have you heard of this new religion? And yeah. most of them had, um, and knew some details of it. Uh, I'm a neophyte, I must say, So, but uh, uh, maybe you know something I don't. Have you heard of this, or play any creeps at all if this is a new religion under Trump? Yeah, okay, so so the first thing is this is is no doing of Donald Trump, okay? In in other words, this is not something like he teaches or espouses, etc. But I'm I'm looking at something that uh, my producer Matt sent me a few days ago as QAnon, the newest American religion, QAnon builds on apocalyptic thinking common in parts of evangelical and fundamentalist Christianity in America. It started on 4chan, an anonymous message board, influential online culture, but generally considered outside the bounds of the respectable internet. 
not least because it has repeatedly made the news in connection to child pornography. That's that's 4chan. That makes the site an odd first home for QAnon, whose narrative centers on a cabal of powerful figures in government, business, academia, and media who make time for child sex trafficking and satanic sacrifice in their busy schedule of world domination. Basically, from what I can tell, another conspiracy theory religion that has gotten uh, ground on the Internet. Honestly, I, I knew very, very little about it, intersected with it very, very little until some of my people began to, to send me information on it. And basically what I know is, is some of what I've just read to you. So, yeah, new religion, not in the sense of, of you have you know, a sacred Bible and a savior figure in this defined way laid out, but uh, another conspiratorially based religious movement yeah gaining ground on the internet so i i am don't know much about it but i know enough to say oh come on hey thank you for the call Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks so much for joining us on this Memorial Day. Michael Brown, we are live. It's not a pre-recorded show. We are live. It's, it's our joy to be live every single day that we can be. And now with the change in travel I have not traveled out to speak since early March when I came back from Australia. So supposed to be in Nigeria late March. That got canceled. Supposed to be in many other parts of America. All those got canceled. Supposed to be in Israel with our tour in May. That got rescheduled to October. And I'm not, I don't think I'm scheduled to travel until like August or something. So trust me, I have been really seeking to redeem the time. I've been able to finish a major book on the relationship between evangelicals and Donald Trump that we're hoping to get out very quickly. Uh, Working on another important book to come out next year to help people who've lost their faith or are struggling to believe, uh, really praying over that, over every word of that book. Uh, We've got a book just in the final editing now on on contemporary Christian anti-Semitism. That's a real shocker out in September. And then above all, just trying to get more time with God, take advantage of these hours to be in his presence and seek his face and and be the man he wants me to be. So thank you for joining us and thank you for partaking in this Memorial Day broadcast. Phone lines are open. Memorial Day. Memorial Day. Phone lines are open. 866-348-7884. Okay, before I go to the phones, I was contacted by Pastor Satish, uh, Satish Kumar. Over the weekend, we first met in the city in Hyderabad in India in 1995. He was a young man. God had spoken to him at that time that he would have a large church, but he just had a small ministry at that time. And uh, that's when we first met. One of many Indian leaders that I met on that trip. I've been to India now by God's grace 27 times, but that was trip number three. And then a couple years back, while in India, about two and a half years ago, was, uh, made a special trip over to Hyderabad and met Pastor Kumar, who at that time was leading the world's fastest growing church, the promise God had given him 
that had just sat dormant and, and whatever he did was small, suddenly came to life. He started with 25 people and in 10 years had gone to 130,000. And I, w- I was there in the building to see the crowds and to see it, it was a sign and wonder. Amazing. And I told the story of, of, of lessons learned from the world's fastest growing church. So we've not had contact, I mean, maybe limited contact over the last two and a half years. They now have eight branches, eight satellites, and they have 330,000 total members. It has has a massive TV outreach. So that has really propelled this dramatically. But about two months ago, God started to speak to him, store food. He thought of Joseph in the book of Genesis in Egypt, store food. Because of that, he went to his other leaders, board, said, you know, I feel we should store about $100,000 worth of food, however he put it, in Indian currency. And that's a lot of food. Where are we going to get it from? And so on. But felt to do it. And then felt the Lord say 700 tons, 700 tons, 700 tons of food you're to store. Where are we going to get this from? Well, people in this church gave sacrificially, but otherwise every store, every vendor, and anyone at food said, hey, we're taking donations and we'll go get it. We'll collect it and all this because of the pandemic, things were shut down. They have now uh, supplied meals, 3.3 million meals. They have supplied, they send a carton to people's homes. There's this toll-free number. Call you be a Muslim, you can be a Hindu, whoever. just call this number and they will supply you. They've worked now with Hindu priests, with Muslim imams, and Christian pastors side by side to help people. And within the cartons, which provide three meals a day for a family of four for one month, that's what's in each carton, okay? Uh, And then you prepare the food and so on. They do not have gospel literature Bible because that that would violate the law or they could be accused of, of violating the law by the Hindu government, which is strongly militant Hindu government, so the BJP and the RSS that, that oppose. So when the officials examine the cards, like it's got a picture of Satish Kumar, information on the church on the outside, that's it. That's it. So they have supplied food now for 37,000 families, three meals a day for a month for four people. The workers got to one home, by the time they got there, the mother was on her way to committing suicide. She and her children were starving, and she had given up hope. She had the rope up and was ready to kill herself when there was a knock at the door. Yeah, can you imagine that? Knock at the door, and boom, uh, there, uh, there they were with the food, and she shared the story. So what a great testimony to the glory of God. You can read the story at our website, sdrbrown.org, or... Uh, on stream.org and probably other places. And then I got a note from a pastor in Pakistan said, hey, we don't have a church that size, but we have done a lot. We've done a lot more than other churches to help needy people in Pakistan. And this is, you know, as an oppressed people, as Christians in Pakistan, what a great testimony from this pastor in Pakistan as well. Just want to encourage you with that. Good news. 866-34-TRUTH. Let us go to Virginia. Joshua, welcome to the line of fire. Hello, I'm Dr. Brown. It's uh, good to talk with you. I was just, so I have an interesting story, I would say, in many ways. You know, obviously in this era that we live in, um, the, you know, there is an exception of, I mean, unfortunately in this era, I think, you know, sin isn't being recognized for what it is in many ways. It's not 
just you know the you know but, but sin, it's sin not is looked at as the, a, basically uh, a sick a sickness as opposed to willful choices that are made or human rebellion it's just a, a sickness that someone that's has what I mean. yeah mm-hmm. go ahead what was i going to say so i just i was just going to say i did want to say though that you know I, I was, I mean, I did, at least did want to leave you with this, that I did, you know, I have seen the Lord Jesus Christ. He appeared to me in a vision. And at one point in my life, I was very skeptical of Christianity. I really, I mean, I just had this passion against them. I was determined to disprove, I mean, yeah, I guess to a certain degree, I was very skeptical that Jesus is the Messiah, for sure. You know, and, but obviously, you know, and that was something that completely changed me. And to give you an idea of how far I was from God, I supported Richard Dawkins. Have you heard of him before? Yeah, of course. Sure. Professor Dawkins. I supported him. I mean, this shows you. And another thing, you know, when people, it's just, it really is, you know, one of the things that moved me to God, you know, obviously the scripture says, I, I actually have some Jewish ancestry myself. I have some heritage, you know. It's only a small percentage, but, you know, I actually... Where my uh, father grew up in Silver, it's called Silver Spring, Maryland. You can see there are synagogues there. There are, um, and I have memories on Saturdays, you know, of seeing the, the the Jews, the Orthodox Jews, walking to the temple, and really, I have many memories of that, even from childhood. Um, I never was a practicing Jew myself. You could argue maybe I was close to believing that, because I was at a point where, yes, I believe in the God of Abraham. But I don't know if I believe Jesus is the Messiah. Yeah, so, so Joshua, you were you were skeptical and hostile, and you said that you had a vision of Jesus. Yeah, t- tell you what, it seems we just have a slight problem on the connection here. But listen, God reaches out to people in many many different ways, and and Paul said in First Timothy one that God had mercy on him. Here he was literally persecuting other Jews who were followers of Jesus. And he said God had mercy on him because he acted ignorantly and in unbelief. And sometimes we can be hostile, skeptical, angry, and yet God sees our unbelief and people are praying for us. And the key thing is, uh, if Jesus really appears to someone, the fruit will be a changed life, uh, a life that loves the Word of God and that loves the God of the Word, uh, a, a life of repentance and transformation. The proof is going to be in the, the experience in the life, as Paul preached in, in Acts 26, that, that we should repent and prove our repentance by our deeds. Hey, thank you for the call. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Joshua in Connecticut. Thanks for holding. Welcome to the line of fire. Uh, hi, Dr. Brown. Um, thank you so much for having me. It's a real blessing to be able to talk to you. I, I know that this is a uh, like a blessing in the spiritual realm. Uh, the way that you came into my life, uh, I really needed it at that time. I'm and glad so I've to been hear following that. you for quite a few years, and I appreciate it very much. Uh, I would also like to say uh, the miracle that you're uh, relating with uh, Dr. Satish yeah. is amazing. It's just brilliant. And uh, it's. And, and it's, by the way, they ended up, uh, the, we posted a video on, on the Ask Dr. Brown YouTube channel that he sent me. At that point, they had provided two and a half million meals, but when we talked, it was it, it was up to three point three million, and 
the uh, the total tonnage was now 800 tons of food that had that had come in, which is really extraordinary. Yeah, but back to you, Joshua. Go ahead. Anything can happen. It's it's uh, it surprises me how much he actually resembles you face to face as he's gotten older. I didn't know if that was partially part of uh, his ministry, just uh, meeting you and then kind of takes on your appearance a little bit. No, no, he's he's his own man. Uh, when our our first meeting in '95 was nothing. Uh, we were just partnering together at a meeting. Nothing spectacular or deep. It's not like he he owes Dr. Michael Brown anything. But when we connected two and a half years ago. I helped get his story out more widely uh, and, and helped connect him with some other people to help share his story, which, which I know was a blessing. That's why he had contacted me, because of the, the reach that we have. But what God did through him and, and, and uh, the team there, and, and they're very pleased to say that, that this did not come from gifts from outside India. This came from within India. And, you know, look, there, there are, right in the States— there are lots of little churches no one's ever heard of, uh, small, just known in their local community, maybe only know them in a few block radius, but they've done a lot of good during the pandemic. They've helped people. They've been there in their community. They've been a witness, and they've made a difference. So for each of you that's done things uh, no one else may have seen or known or looked at, God bless you. God, God saw, and the people you serve, they saw. And then there's some large churches, you know, mega churches and others with great organizational capabilities and vision, and, and they've helped their communities with food banks and then churches and uh, congregations of all different sizes in between. So we're blessed to see many believers seizing this moment and using it as an opportunity to do what believers do, love their neighbors in tangible ways. All right, we got a break, and we'll come back and get to your question on this Memorial Day as we remember and honor those who've given their lives, those who've sacrificed for the good of our nation. We honor them. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the line of fire. Let us go straight back to Joshua in Connecticut. Uh, Connecticut. So your question, sir. Okay, uh, just a little bit of uh, background. This is um, When I started believing, I thought I was going to be a Jesuit priest. Uh, I love the idea that they were willing to lay down their life for their faith. And then I met a Jewish man, and uh, he happened to let me uh, stay with him for a time. And in speaking with him about Christ, he didn't, he didn't personally adhere to the faith, um, but he wasn't totally opposed uh, to me, apparently. Um, but I could just realize that when he, had, when he had said to me, you know, as Jews, we don't, we don't worship Christ, um, there was like light even with him, you know, like, like I saw something about his faith that was brilliant. And I always had kept hope in my heart that, um, through his conversion, it would be like it says in Romans, life from the dead, mm-hmm. uh, which I still feel today is the same for all, yeah. all Jews. So I come into some conflict with like, if the Pope were to say, you know, don't preach to the Jewish people because they have their own 
road to salvation. I kind of agree with you. I think that they should hear the gospel. Now, for me personally, I started to um, attach myself to a holiness, Wesleyan holiness denomination in the American holiness movement, the Church of the Nazarene. And part of their doctrine, I'm sure you're probably familiar with it being Pentecostal. They were once the Pentecostal Church of the Nazarene. It sort of separated from the Pentecostal Church mm-hmm. because the word Pentecostal took yeah. on a different meaning for them. I'm not completely caught up yeah. on that. No, e- either way, hey, j- just in fairness to the callers, if you don't mind, the specific question, just so we could focus in, I-, I hate to be rude. Right, and I was right there to it. Uh, okay, in, all right. In Joel, um, Joel 28 and Joel uh, and 3.1 or, or 3.2 says that God will pour out His Spirit on male ser- and maid servants, both. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the doctrine, the Nazarene Church has built sort of a doctrine around ordaining women with mm-hmm. regard to this verse in Acts. Mm-hmm. I just want to know your opinion on it. Yeah, so it, it, it is a, a massively controversial subject within the body. My own view is that governmental headship, as ordained by God in the home, in the church, is male that that's the, the order, and that's the way he's made us, men and women with different functions. Now, that being said, I see all kinds of different ways that women can serve in the body, some of which, in certain circles, would require ordination. It, it all depends on the specific circle. Uh, when you look at Paul's list of significant leaders that he works with in Romans 16, a number of them are women. And there are strong arguments about women functioning in all different types of of leadership. And I do know women pastors that I believe are anointed by God, although I do not see it as the norm, just like Deborah was an anointed judge in ancient Israel, but that was not the norm. So, of course, you have uh, strong passages, uh, in particular in in, in Paul's writing to, to Timothy, questions about what he actually said in 1 Corinthians 14. But I believe, in short, the general pattern that God has set up is governmental authority is male, which is why the vast majority of world leaders are men, the vast majority of company leaders are men, and in the home there's a certain headship that God's given to men, but there's a mutuality in submission, there's a mutuality in in honor, and that the role of the, the man, even as the head of the home, is to lay down his life for his wife as Christ did for the church. But that being said, it I do not see women pastors as the primary New Testament model. I do see women functioning in all different types of pastoral ministry, but not as the senior leader. And depending on where women are fitting and serving, would they be ordained? In many cases, they would. In many cases, they, they would. Uh, you can also check on my website uh, a video about women being pastors. And then... Uh, a whole interview I did with Naomi Dowdy, who is a leading female pastor in Singapore. Uh, you can check that on the website, sdrbrown.org. Hey, thank you for the call, Joshua. Uh, we go to Paul in Florida. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. Thank you so much. Um, I will ask my question here, and then I'll briefly expound on it just to give full context. Yeah. So, my question is, what advice would you give preachers of the gospel to be spiritually fit while going into battle? And so for me, I'm finishing up an evangelism boot camp out here in Orlando and possibly being sent into all these dark places. And I'm thinking from a spiritual perspective, you know, to be 
spiritually fit in every way, protected, you know, especially being a light in a dark place. You can imagine spiritually what that creates, that how that stirs up things. And so I'm just looking for daily practices and disciplines, you know, for mind, body, spirit. And, you know, the Bible speaks so much of this, and by all means, repeat this. You know, we have the armor of God, you know, praying in the Spirit, pleading the Mm -hmm. blood of Jesus, time with Jesus, all the spiritual disciplines. You know, Richard Foster speaks about meditation on the Word, daily repentance, living in holiness, of course, not opening up any doors to the enemy. And, you know, I want to do all this, but daily is, is unrealistic, and of course, to not make it religious. So just what advice would you give me in my situation? Yeah, so uh, the first thing, Paul, is that if someone was training to be an elite athlete, let's say they were, uh, you know, they were playing in some sport and they're training to be an elite athlete, training for the sport is important, but the biggest thing is their own fitness and health and well-being. So first and foremost is relationship with God. In other words, ministry is not first and foremost. Preaching is not first and foremost. Spiritual warfare is not first and foremost, but personal relationship with God. So it has to be a priority, a choice that you make that every day you want to give quality time to God. So whatever you have to do in terms of other non-essentials, other things that are not as important, you want to put that time first to meet with Him in the Word and in prayer. And if your schedule is limited in that you don't have all the time that you'd like to have, you still need to make that a priority. And then when you're in dark situations, uh, places with a lot of demonic activity, and, and again, I've been in these places and the, the spiritual warfare can be very intense, you want to worship the Lord more. Uh, you, wanna, you may need to listen to more praise music. You, know, you may be traveling to get to a place and it's a two-hour ride through rocky roads. You know, uh, Be praising God during that time or be, be listening to some worship music, because that, that helps lift you into a higher place. And then as you said, don't open the doors, don't play games, recognize that there's an enemy who, who wants to take you out. And then as you're sharing with others, don't neglect yourself. So uh, with that, sometimes uh, we can now, okay, I just finished preaching eight times in these rural villages, one thing I can do when I'm done is eat whatever in the world I want, and now it's 10 at night, and you're eating unhealthy food, and you're actually now abusing yourself more than helping yourself. So whatever you can do also, and, and, and with foreign environments and, and different situations you can be, often there's more risk to your physical health. And then if you're taken out physically, if you're so run down constantly with, with fevers and sicknesses and vomiting and diarrhea you, you know you can't go out and preach obviously you can't help others so you 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 care for the temple of the spirit in that regard and uh, i know that god had to wean me from this food was a reward for me you know after all my hours of ministry and travel and i go back to my room and eat whatever i wanted so i had to change my mentality where food became a fuel for a healthier body so that i could serve god more effectively as opposed to food being the fuel. So look for these areas. Also realize that after great victories, there are often great attacks, that you may go back to your room after the greatest night of ministry you ever saw and out of the blue get attacked with a desire to download porn. It's like, where'd that come from? And sometimes we don't realize that with great victory, there can be attack. But put your own spiritual being at a high level. Don't think because I'm preaching all day, that means... 
that I'm 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 blessed and I'm with the Lord. You need your time with Him, enjoying Him, worshiping Him, and then also make sure you have some people praying for you uh, when you're out in these situations. Ask for some prayer support because it, it it can be intense. It can be intense, and often you have to ignore your emotions, ignore the swings, and and worship the Lord. Hey, may God be with you. I know the exact boot camp you're talking about. It was a joy to interact with some of the students from there a couple weeks back. Uh, Hey, I don't have time to get to more of your calls, but there is a question from Pearl in Virginia. Is it possible that as a man, God could have sinned? So in other words, could Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, sin? The scholarly term is the impeccability of Christ. Impeccable meaning that he could not sin, peccable, peccability that he could have sinned, but didn't because he was the Son of God, impeccability that he could not sin because he was God in the flesh. You say, but if he could not sin, how could the temptation be real? Well, something could be real even if the reality is that you're not going to yield to it. In other words, you can experience the pull, you can experience the, the weight of it, you can be in a situation where it feels like the plane's going to crash, and, and even though you may know that it's ultimately not going to crash, it could be absolutely terrifying. So for sure, Jesus was tempted in all points as we were. But you could make an argument that it was still impossible for him to sin because of the divine nature, and therefore he was impeccable, although tempted and tested in real ways. Hey, great being with all of you today. Join me tomorrow. We've got a very important video we're going to be releasing tonight, so make sure you check if you're not a subscriber to our YouTube channel. Do that right now. ASK DR Brown on YouTube.